0: I want to talk to you about loving well today loving well that's what we're going to talk about today and in just a moment i'm going to share with you three truths that you must know to love your spouse well and if if you're not married or have gone through the pain of divorce a lot of these principles will still apply to you and if you're not and if you're even younger and and never been married uh please listen up these truths will hopefully uh, penetrate your hearts and your minds as well I'm part of a a group uh, of Christian business owners called C12, and it's a national organization. And they have groups that meet in cities all across the country. And they're groups of about 10 men and women who gather in cities all across the country each month. And one of these groups went on site to tour one of their member companies, and as they, uh, as they did, and they went on site and kind of interviewed and did like a 360 review of one of their member companies. And while they were there, the, the wife was included as well, because it was a kind of small, medium-sized family business. And uh, they went to the wife, met with her individually as well, and asked her, uh, are there any unfulfilled dreams or desires that you have... Uh, that we should know about, that we can pray about, that we should talk about. And she kind of deflected the question at first, and she said, I am so proud of my husband. I really think he sees himself now that he's become the president of our company. I mean, he is so intentional, and he's so strategic about what he does in the company I mean he's doing strategic plans goals and objectives team-building exercises he just is really being intentional about growing and and just taking care of his team and treating them well and he's loving them well as Christ loves us and it's amazing and and she said in fact I'm so amazed uh, as what he's become as president of our business I'm wondering if he sees himself as president of our family. I wonder if he thinks of us the same way he thinks about the people in his business, about uh, growing us and establishing goals and and objectives and doing team building things and planning out time together as a family. I wonder if he sees that. I wonder if he really treats us as well as those people at work. I, I wonder if he loves us as well, and she was really thinking through this with a bit of curiosity. And right then and there, all these business leaders that were there talking to her felt gut-punched, realizing how easy it is sometimes to scale a business, to draft strategic plans and goals and objectives, do these awesome things for your team, to treat them well, to love them well, yet fail to translate any of that to their most important enterprise, their marriage, their family. Well, this morning what I want to do is, is, is to help translate some of that to our marriages and our families, our most important enterprise. And like I said, I'm going to share with you uh, three truths you must know to love your spouse well. So why? Why is that so important? Because God does not call us to glorify himself in compartmentalized parts of his, our lives. God calls us to glorify him in what? In all areas of life and that includes our marriages. Um, Susan and I have a wonderful chairman of our board at Family First, his name is Carrie Gaylord and there is a I remember specifically a time when I was really not treating my wife well and I was really being condescending to her and she stopped me in her in my tracks and she said Mark I want you to know something I see the way you treat your chairman of your board, Kerry Gaylord. Do you, treat, do you think you treat me as well as you treat him? Wow. That stopped me in my tracks. Sometimes I treat the chairman of our board and my business associates uh, like my ally and my spouse like my enemy. When I do that, is that glorifying to God? When I bring my uh, business command and control style back into our home and threaten to fire my wife if she doesn't comply? Is God really pleased with that? And, And when I spend all my affections and all my energy and everything I've got in my work and have nothing left for my wife and my children, is God going to use me? Whatever you do, whatever you do, Do some of it for the glory of God. Right? No. Whatever you do, do it what? All for the glory of God. Love your spouse well to the glory of God. Love. Love. It's the greatest thing, isn't it? It's the greatest commandment. Who says so? Jesus did, right? Remember the Pharisees, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37, the Pharisees come to Jesus and you've heard these greatest commandments over and over again. So the Pharisees come to Jesus and they want to trick him. So they say to him, teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And without hesitation, Jesus says to them, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the great and first commandment and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets are summed up in these two commandments. Love God and love your neighbor. Who's your neighbor? Everybody, right? Everybody. But who's your closest neighbor? Your wife is, your husband is. So that's our closest neighbor. So what's this word love? What does this really mean? We hear so much about love in our culture today. Uh, We hear it out in the world, but people I really don't understand, I think they really understand what love is really all about. Love is not weak and wimpy. Love is strong and courageous. It's not passive and removed. It's active and involved. it's, It's an action verb. It's something you do towards another person. It's not just a feeling. It's also a decision, an act of the will to be patient, kind, humble, hopeful, faithful, giving and trusting. Love is all about giving of ourselves selflessly and sacrificially to another person. How do you spell love? Yes. That's right, L-O-V-E, that's exactly right. That's a smart young man. And I think you can also spell love, listen, listen, G-I-V-E, that's what love is all about. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave. He gave himself selflessly and sacrificially. He gave all he had His life for us. That's what love is all about. It's all about giving. The great statesman Winston Churchill once said, We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. Love is all about giving. So now that we know what love is, We know we're to love consistently in all areas of life. Let's talk about these three truths that we must know to love our spouse as well. Truth number one, you must expect for better and for worse. You must expect for better and for worse. I'll never forget the day Susan and I were married over 28 years ago. We were standing at the altar. And when we were standing at the altar, what do you think I was thinking about? I wasn't thinking about the worse. I was only thinking about the better. But you know what, the worst comes. The worst comes. And when Susan was very young, she had a cardiac arrest, was gone for several minutes. They revived her, put in a pacemaker. So over the last 28 years, she's had four pacemakers. She's had 14 surgeries. Those are challenging times. We all go through difficulty. Jesus says, John 16:33. In this world you will, not may, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We all have, for worse, seasons in our marriages, don't we? Dreams that die. Pain that cripples. We have those things that occur in our marriages. Conflict that's constant. Addictions, affairs, anxiety. So here's the question that we need to answer this morning. We don't need to talk about how do we, how do we love our spouse for better? When the things are going great, how do we love our spouse? No. How do we make it through those difficult times, those challenging times? When the tornadoes rip through your home, when they rip through your family, your marriage, your children, and you're just hanging on, and those winds are just banging against you, banging against you, and there's no hope in sight. What do you do during those worst times? So, there's three things specifically I want to share with you to do. Write these down. No matter where you are in your marriage, first of all, remember your vows. Remember your vows. When we got married, is for better or for worse, richer and poorer, sickness, health, till what? Till death do us part. Listen, I'm going to say something pretty, that's pretty strong here. The D word, divorce, should never, ever be mentioned one time in your marriage. Ever. Once you let that proverbial camel's nose under the tent, then that threat is always there. And if you said that before, confess it, repent from it, seek forgiveness from your spouse and from God. Remember your vows. Secondly, remember that marriage is a covenant. In marriage, God performs this miraculous, amazing, one-flesh union. Listen, marriage was never meant, ever meant, to be a contract to be broken, but it was to be a covenant to be cherished. You hear that? Marriage was never meant to be a contract to be broken, but a covenant to be cherished. I'm a, one thing that uh, wasn't mentioned by John is I'm a recovering attorney, and um, as such, I, I was a real estate attorney. I drafted quite a few contracts, and so there's a huge, huge difference between a contract and a covenant. Let me share those very clearly with you today. So a contract is based on conditional consideration between two people. A covenant is based on unconditional love between three people. Who? God, a husband, and a wife. A contract is a reciprocal transaction. It's an, if you do this, then and only then will I do that kind of thing. A covenant, on the other hand, is a sacrificial action. It's an, if you do, th- if you do this, Regardless of whether you do this, I will do this no matter what. I'll do whatever I'm going to do. I'm going to love you no matter what you do. I'm going to love you even when you're unlovable. I'm going to love you even when you have a bad attitude. It's a sacrificial action. And that a contract is based on mutual distrust. A covenant is based on mutual trust. In short, a contract is all about what you get. A covenant is all about what you give. So remember your vows, remember marriage is a covenant. Now, the third thing that we've got to remember is that marriage exists to display the glory of God. Marriage exists to display the glory of God. That's the big one, that's the big one. Marriage exists to display the glory of God. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. John Piper has a great quote here. He says, the ultimate purpose of marriage is is to put the covenant relationship of Christ and his church, his people, on display. Marriage, our marriage, my marriage, your marriage, should be a radiant reflection for all the world to see, for our children, our grandchildren, for all the people in this church and this community to see who Christ is, even, get this, through the worst times. So when those storms come, remember your vows, remember marriage is a covenant, And very importantly, remember that our marriages, they don't just exist for our happiness. They exist for holiness. They exist to be a radiant reflection of who Christ is for all the world to see. Truth number one, you must expect for better or worse. Truth number two, you must fight for your marriage. You must fight for your marriage. Our battle, listen, Ephesians 6, our battle... Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. So what does that mean? Your struggle is not with your spouse. Do you believe that? Do you believe what the word of God says? It's not against your spouse, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Listen, your spouse is your ally, not your enemy. You and your spouse are allies, not enemies. So here's what we want to do, is we want to make war on three very subtle and sometimes silent marriage killers. Let me tell you what they are. First, comparison. Secondly, criticism. And third, busyness. First, we need to make war on comparison. Are you guys with me? All right. Let's make war on comparison first. Why? Because comparison leads to discontentment. If I'm always comparing my life and what I've got or don't have to other people, I'm never going to be content. You know, sometimes it goes on like this. We may not say it, but we think it. If I just had blank like them, then I'd be happy. If I just had a Suburban with 300,000 miles on it like John and Heather Spencer, then I'd be happy. If I had a Twitter account like Michael Catt, then I'd be happy. If, if, if I... Uh, was, had kids like, like, like Ken and Luana, then I'd be happy. Everything would be great. But it doesn't work that way. You know, I remember there was a couple that, um, named David and Christine. I'll use those names. And uh, they were some of our closest friends when we were growing up. And we went camping with them. I remember, never forget it one time. And Susan and I were sitting there uh, next to them. They were actually off a little bit here. And they were just being so sweet and so kind to one another and Susan leaned over to me said she said why can't we be that sweet to each other and we were looking at them and unfortunately several months later they were separated and went through a horrible divorce you never know what's going on behind closed curtains so what should we do we need to fight comparison by running the race marked out for us not them but for us, Hebrews 12.1 is very clear. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run the race marked out for them. No, let us run the race marked out for us. Make war on comparison. Secondly, make war on criticism. The second way to fight for your marriage. Criticism leads to what? Criticism leads to discouragement. Before Susan and I got married, there were many, many things that attracted to me, uh, me to her, and uh, she was really a fun-loving person. Uh, she was creative, enthusiastic, just an otter personality, and she was awesome. and And I was kind of this organized, structure guy, do it by the books, get it done right kind of person. And so they say, before marriage, opposites attract; after marriage, opposites do what? They attack. What was once appealing is sometimes now very annoying. And Susan, I started criticizing Susan more and more because I thought very highly of myself. And I wanted you, Susan, to be more like me, didn't I? But then, guess what? She started to become more like me, and I didn't like it. And so I realized the greatest confrontation I needed to have wasn't with Susan. The greatest confrontation I needed to have was with myself. Leo Tolstoy said it best. Everyone thinks of changing the world, but no one thinks of changing himself. I didn't need Susan to change. I needed to change me. I needed God to work in my life by the power of his Holy Spirit to do something with me. I need to love Susan for who she was and who God created her to be. Fight critical words with words that build up. Susan and I are constantly asking each other, and sometimes if we say something that's not done in the right way or in a condescending manner or with the wrong tone of voice, we'll say to each other, are your words building up or are they tearing down? Are your words building up or are they tearing down? And so really now, I do my very best to try to encourage Susan, I do it very imperfectly, but I, am, I, I don't naturally think of how can I encourage Susan, and so guess what, I have to write it down. I put it at the top of my calendar, like literally, encourage Susan, or write a, 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 send Susan a text saying this, or write a yellow sticky note and put it on, I actually write those reminders down, and I shared this with a guy one time, a friend of mine, and he said, I cannot believe you are that robotic that you just can't do those kind of things I said I, I can't I don't do I don't do it well so I actually write these things down and I'd encourage you to do, guys to do the same thing if you're like me in that way so secondly we need to make war on criticism third make war on busyness make war on business why busyness leads to neglect neglecting God neglecting our spouses neglecting our families there is hardly a week that goes by when I don't get on the phone with somebody or see somebody, and I say, "Hey, John, how you doing? What's going on?" Oh man, I am crazy busy. I am crazy busy, and sometimes it seems like we wear this thing called busyness as a badge of honor, uh, but it's really not. You know, and, and the the challenge is, how many of you all are busy with really bad things? no, you're not busy with bad things, but are you busy with the best things? I'm, I remember uh, a number of years ago in our marriage, Susan was, you know, she felt like she could volunteer for everything and do pretty much everything, and she could, but you know what? When you spend time in one place, it takes time away from somewhere else, and she was involved in all these good things, but we realized that we needed to create a stop-doing list, not only for her, but for me. There was a number of boards and committees that I was serving on. I said, is this what God would have us do? And we prayed through those things, we created a stop doing list of a few things that we really didn't feel like God was leading us to do anymore. So fight busyness with a stop doing list. Here's the key point, listen, write this down. Only do what God would have you do. Only do what God would have you do. Look at the commitments that you're making, pray about them, pray fervently with your spouse about them, Discuss them and determine what you should do and what you shouldn't do. Only do what God would have you do. So, we've talked about first truth. You must expect better and for worse in your marriage. Secondly, you must fight for your marriage. And third, the third truth you must know to love your spouse well is that you must love God well. C.S. Lewis once said, I cannot learn to love my neighbor, my spouse, as myself, till I learn to love God. I cannot love, have an intimate love relationship with my wife, or you can't with your husband, until we have an intimate love relationship with Christ, with God. That is absolutely critical, and we need to have that. So why? Because love comes from God. Where does love come from? I didn't say it. Dear friends, let us love one another. 1 John 4, 7, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and loves God. So love comes from God. And God's love is what? It's perfect and unfailing and amazing. Mine is not. So the more I love God and receive his love, and his love flows through me into the life of God, my wife, and my children, the better I'm going to be able to love them. So how do we love God well? First, we must abide. What does it mean to abide? It just means to remain connected. Remain connected. Jesus said, John 15:5. you're very familiar with it, I am the vine, Jesus is the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, it is he who bears much fruit. Apart from me, You can have a really good marriage. Apart from me, you're going to have an awesome family, a godly family. No, apart from me, you can do nothing. Love comes from God. So how do we abide? How do we abide? Well, there's a number of ways we can abide. We just have to look at scripture. But there's two primary ways and very important ways to abide. First of all, meditate on God's word day and night. Meditate on God's Word day and night. Many verses in Scripture. My favorite verse, my favorite passage is in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk with the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he does what? He meditates day and night. He meditates day and night. Jim and Sheila McBride, have been in God's Word together, reading through the entire Bible every year together for how many years? 19 years. 19 years. They abide individually. They abide collectively. They are in God's Word together every day. Don't just open God's Word during your quiet time in the morning. Take your Bible. Put it on your desk at work, and yes, you can do that. Put it on your desk at work. Uh, keep your app open or available that you can bring it up during the day before, between meetings and seek God's wisdom on various topics. Whatever that might be, wherever your workplace is, w- whether it's at home or out somewhere else, keep God's word somehow before you. Second way to abide is pray continually. First Thessalonians 5.17. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Not pray sometimes or just in the quiet of the morning. Pray continually and give thanks in all circumstances. Why? Because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You want to know what God's will is? Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So it's not just praying during the morning time, but it's praying all the time. Before meetings, before a phone call, that constant communication with God so yes abide by yourself but also abide with your spouse abide with your spouse you've heard it over and over again pray with your spouse study the Bible with your spouse come to church with your spouse come to Bible study with your spouse but here's the question are you doing it are you doing it are you on your knees together at home in the quiet of the morning with your spouse, asking God and talking to God about your needs, your desires, giving him thanks and praise in your worship. Are you, are you opening the Bible together? Susan and I have, have enjoyed sometimes reading the Psalms together, just reading them out loud during the quiet of the morning. Are you worshiping together? Are you doing those things as a couple? Listen, if you want to love your spouse well, then you must love God well. Expect for better and for worse. Fight for your marriage. The key, love God well. To love your spouse well. Remember the story I shared at the beginning of our time together about the uh, the woman uh, who had this, uh, the husband who was the C12 member, the president of her business, who she really wondered, does he, d- does he think of us the way he thinks of the people at work? Does he treat us as well? Does he love us as well? And so... I uh, sometimes share different illustrations um, with with Susan as preparing my thoughts for this uh, this this big conference that CU12 was having in San Antonio a week ago. I wanted to pass that illustration by her to say, should, should I use this illustration? What do you think? Does it impact? Does it does it have an impact? So I finished telling this story to Susan, right? And and, and I'm sitting across the table for her, so what do you think? And I'm thinking, she's going to say, oh, what, that's a good illustration, Good good hard-hitting point, I, I like that, you ought to share that, so I finished telling the story, and Susan looks at me, and she said three words, I can relate, what, what, what do you mean by that, and I see her face kind of downcast, and just, she was pretty serious, and, and I said, what do you mean by that, and she said, I can relate. And I could tell this wasn't going in the right direction. As I started to get a little bit frustrated and defensive because I just wanted to tell me it was a great illustration. And so I look at her and I say, so why would you say that to me? Why would you say that to me? And she said, well, I just feel sometimes that you treat uh, the people at work and the people that you see out in the public sometimes better than me. And so I, as a godly man, thought, okay, the Holy Spirit's moving through me. Honey, I am so sorry. I love you. And I was wrong. Please forgive me. No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that at all. I said, and, and how do you think I feel about the way you've been treating me over the last few months? Well, things didn't go real well from there. And I really wanted a, a really good on-point illustration. And after sharing it with Susan, you know what I realized? I, w- I realized that sometimes I am that illustration. Sometimes I am that man. There are often times when I treat others much better than I treat my wife. And you know what, marriage, it's hard to do that. It's a hard thing. Marriage is hard and it takes a lot of hard work. And these marriage principles are so easy to talk about but very hard to do but you know what I did after that I went on to share it with Susan something very very important and I looked her in the eye and I said Susan the father of lies Satan himself is seeking to devour us he is seeking to devour us and he is waging war right now against us and there are a lot of challenges that we're having at work right now, there's a lot of challenges that we're having at home now, right now. But you know what, Susan? We have got to fight. We've got to stand. We've got to stand. We've got to fight. We have to continue on. This is way bit bigger than us. This is about our children. This is about our grandchildren. This is about all those people whose lives we speak into each and every day. This is about our testimony. It's about our marriage testifying to the truth of God's amazing and unfailing love. That's what it's all about. And so Susan and I are standing. We are fighting. We are striving to love God well so that we can In an imperfect way love one another well and by God's grace we're gonna stand and fight not just from the last 28 years but for another 28 years and here's what I want to know this morning are you gonna stand with me are you gonna fight with me I'm gonna stand with you I'm gonna fight for you I'm gonna make a note to pray for you that's the best way I can fight for you from a distance Ladies and gentlemen, this is about our testimony. This is about what you are saying to your children. This is about what you are saying to your grandchildren. This is about what you're saying to the people sitting next to you. This is about what you're saying to the people of Benny. This is about what you're saying to everybody whose life you come in contact with. It is about your testimony. So let me ask you a question. One day from now, one year from now, or many years from now, when your, your children, your grandchildren, others are talking about you, what are they going to talk about? Are they going to talk just about your title, or are they going to talk about your testimony? What are they going to talk about? They're just going to talk about your title as president, executive, businessman, businesswoman, doctor, technician, teacher, principal. Agent, or are they going to talk about how you led your family? Are they just going to talk about all the awards and accolades and and applause that you got in in the workplace? Are they going to talk about your testimony of how you gave and you gave and you gave to the people you love, to your spouse, your children, to the people, your brothers and sisters in this congregation? Are they just going to talk about a man or a woman? standing on a pedestal at work, or testimony of a man and woman kneeling at home in prayer? Are they just going to talk about your title or your testimony of a man, a woman, who loved God, loved their children, and loved one another? What will they talk about? Will they talk about your title or your testimony? It was my hope and prayer that you will persevere through the worst by God's grace, that you will fight, you will stand for your marriage, that you will love God well, and that you and your spouse, by the grace and glory of God, will build a great marriage for a greater purpose, a greater purpose, showcasing God's amazing, unfailing, and perfect love for all the world to see amen may it be so well now what I'd like to do is uh, all of us have challenges in our marriages all of us have struggles and I want to encourage you and uh, ask you that in order to love your spouse well, in order to have the marriage as God intended you to have, you must love him well. You must know God, you must love God, and you must receive his love. Have you ever really received that perfect, that amazing, that unfailing, that eternal love? If you haven't, you have a God that loves you. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Do you really believe it? If you don't have that, if you haven't received his love, would would you come out of your seats? Would you just stand and would you come down here? There's going to be people to pray with you, kneel before the throne of God, and just say, Lord, I need you. I need you. Come into my life give me life make me whole again make my marriage whole again would you do that do that right now come down and you know what if you're going through tornadoes in your life you're going through hurricanes of life you're going through these strong winds that are just beating against your your life and your marriage and your home and you're struggling would you come down together with your spouse hold their grab their hand And make a statement today, right here and right now, that you're going to stand for your marriage, that you're not giving up, that you're going to fight for your marriage. Please come now. Please come now as we finish our time together.